Happy Father's Day and welcome to Vertical Church Ovilla. We're so happy you're with us. Right now, we're in a series called The Real Life, where Pastor Brian is speaking on being fishers of men. Let's go fishing. I'm glad you've chosen Vertical as a place to spend uh, this Sunday morning. I uh, pray that uh, today when you got up, you rested in who you are in Jesus Christ and maybe not what you felt when you looked in the mirror, right? Amen. So uh, I was at an event last night and someone came up to me that I hadn't seen maybe three years. And uh, they said, oh, are, you, are you Brian Treadaway? I said, yeah, I am. And they said, oh, wow, you just, you look so different. Said, All right. And they said, no, I mean, you really, you really look different. I just didn't recognize you. And of course, I'm getting a little worried at this point, you know. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll venture out there and see where we're going here. So I said, so like, you mean like in a positive, a good way, right? And he said, well, I mean, we all change, you know? And I was like, whoo, all right. So uh, I had to rely upon who God says I am, not anyone else in that moment. So I'm glad you're here today on Father's Day. And uh, happy Father's Day to all you dads. And I'm looking forward to our time together today, some special things happening. Uh, I want to thank you for praying for my sister last week as we go through the service. Yeah, amen. Uh, if you've been on uh, some, some social media, you may have seen some of the, what's happened this week. I have, I have good news for you today. So uh, that's coming as we go along in the message here and uh, something very exciting at the end. So I'm excited about that. So uh, we've been talking about fishing for a while and I made it pretty clear up front. It's, this is not my my real gig. Uh, fishing is not it. It's not my thing. I have to uh, rely upon others to help me in this whole message here. And I know all of us would say, well, you know, making fishers of men is not my real thing either. It's not what I naturally do. I'm not naturally bold about my faith. I'm not naturally good at talking to other people. I get it. I understand I'm not real good at this kind of fishing. So we're all learning together about what it means to be fishers of men, right? And so uh, I thought this week, you know, fishing is an interesting sport. It's a little different than other sports. If you're playing football, you clearly see who the opposition is. You clearly see what the goal is. It's, it's laid out before. You can visually see it. You kind of fight for it. You move for it. You can see your progress along the way. If you're playing baseball, you know what the goal is. You see it. You see the opposition. If you're playing any kind of sport, you generally know where the opposition is and where the goal is. You see it all. You strategize and make plans, but you can see it physically. You can see all of it. If you're running any kind of track and field event, you know what the goal is. You know what your measure is, your mark is. You know what the goal is in all of it. But with fishing, it's all a little different. You don't necessarily see the goal. It's all below the surface of the water. It's, it's beneath the surface. You can't see it. You can't see your opposition. You can't see the goal. You just know it's there. And you're doing your best to try to go where it is, lure with the best lure you've got, lure them in, and make the catch. So when it comes to being fishers of men, I thought, boy, there's a lot of similarities here. Because when it comes to relating to other people, when it comes to being a parent and you're wanting to help your child come to know who God is, when it comes to being a spouse, when it comes to being a friend, when it comes to being a family member, you have this goal, but you can't see someone else's heart. 
parents, how many times have you wondered, man, I just wish I could see into their brain to see what they're thinking? Hello, you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes as a spouse, you think, man, I wish I could just see into their heart to know what's going on inside there. Hello? Oh, come on now. I'm not the only one who's ever thought that in your marriage. Come on. Or with friends or your boss or coworkers, all that. You just wish you could see what's going on, but you can't always see because it's beneath the surface. It's kind of like fishing. You've got to know something about the sport if you want to catch the prize. If you want to catch the prize of a child, your spouse, a friend, a family member, and you don't know where they are, but you just know they need to be caught, they need to be influenced, they need to have God work in their life, you've got to know something about fishing. Amen? Amen. So real life, this is what real life is all about. This is the skill we are in the process of learning. So I saw this quote this past week. It was a guy who was a, a bass fisherman, which uh, I find that if, if you are fishing for bass, you fish a little differently than you fish if you're fishing for a catfish or if you're fishing for something else. And so this, this guy said, and I would suppose this would be true for most fishing types, but he said, especially if you're fishing for bass, he said, the holy grail, in other words, the most important thing, the thing you've got to know, the thing you've got to have, this guy said, is sensitivity. You have to be able to sense your lure in the water, the nibbles that come across it, that moment when that fish is there, and when to reel it in. It all is based on sensitivity. And I thought, how glorious, how fitting. If you want to fish for men, you want to make a difference in your child's life, your spouse's life, your friend's life, coworker, family member, it all comes down to your ability to be sensitive to the moment. And I'm telling you, you know, we live in a culture today where relationship, relationship skills are not taught like they used to be. Now, we worry more about making sure we text correctly, email the right wording. We've lost some of the facial, personable interaction and knowing how to sit down with someone and have a conversation. And I don't mean a conversation about the weather, the sports, the latest news. I'm talking about having conversations that come right on down to the things that are most important in life. Conversations about where's your heart right now? Tell me what's going on in your life. Where are you in your walk with Christ right now? What are you thinking about what God's doing in your life right now? This is a different level of conversation that most of us have difficulty with, if we're just honest. Hello, right? Can we all say, yeah, those are, those are conversations that are just a little awkward at times. They're not the thing you just sit down and you lead with, right? So, how's God working in your life? Like, oh, wow, look at the time. I got to go, you know, right? That's usually how that goes. And I'm not saying you lead with that. I'm not saying you start with that. Because it is a skill. It is a trained skill to know how to work your way into a conversation that is going to have some spiritual depth to it. Amen? I think that's why Jesus says, follow me 
and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, come with me. I'm not gonna show you in the first 15 minutes, but as you follow me, I'm going to teach you, you're gonna observe me, and I will work in you to make you into someone who knows how to have spiritual conversations with other people. I'll make you fishers of men. This is what real life is all about. So our passage today, or our message today first, is called Feeling the Tug. It's important. If you're going to be a good fisherman, you've got to know how to feel the tug. And if you're going to be a good fisher of men, you've got to know how to feel the tug. You've got to know how to cooperate with the Spirit of God. Because, you know, when it comes to working with other people, when it comes to training up your children, when it comes to relating to your spouse, when it comes to friend, family member, coworker, God is the one who is at work. Yeah. He is the one who can change. He's the only one that can change. He calls us to join him in the process. He doesn't call us to do all of the work. So in being a fisher of men, in having those conversations, in knowing how to have those relationship skills, I'm just joining him in the work he's already doing. I am learning how to follow him. I'm listening to the spirit of God all the while as he is at work. The greatest key to fishing for others is sensitivity. It's true. All right. I'm going to hurt myself on that thing before this is over. Acts chapter 8, turn your Bible there. I'm reading out of a Bible today. How about that? An old school Bible. Here we go. It's a shame this is called old school, right? It's not. It's the timeless word of God. Acts chapter 8 is where we are today. I'm going to read the story up front today all the way through, and we're going to refer back to it. We're going to see a man here who was a follower of Jesus who had done the very thing Jesus said do, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so our setting here is, of course, in the book of Acts. It is after the death, the resurrection, and return of Jesus to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And what's happened then, as he foretold, the Spirit of God was given to men. And the Holy Spirit came early in the book of Acts. He filled those who believed and then things begin to happen, dramatic things begin to happen, and they're happening at rapid pace. I mean, revival's breaking out, miracles are happening, the disciples are seeing God work, and he's working through them. He's doing the work, but they are the conduits, all right? So one of those men, his name is Philip, all right? And he is seeing God work. And much of it is happening around Jerusalem. And he is going to be interrupted from the big good things that God is doing to be called to go somewhere else. Have you ever had your day interrupted? Have you ever had your schedule interrupted? You've got your whole day planned. You've got great things on the agenda. And all of a sudden, you get a text. You get a phone call. You get a... A call from your spouse across the house. Hey, we need to do this today. And all of a sudden, what you had planned, all of a sudden, gets interrupted. I see a lot of spouses looking at one another right now. <laughs> this is a real thing, isn't it? It's true. And so this happens 
to Philip. He's about to have his life interrupted. I was watching a clip from a, a message from a, a pastor in Tulsa. His name is Michael Todd. If you ever get a chance to listen to Michael Todd, you should, in Tulsa. And he talked about interruptions like this. And he said interruptions are introductions into seeing God work. They are. And the struggle is you and I don't like interruptions. You and I get upset about our inter in interruptions. We kind of lose our cool. We get upset about it. But interruptions are the very thing that God uses to introduce us into something big he's doing. So that's why it's important to not get upset about what you think is an interruption. It's really an introduction into something big. So Acts chapter 8. Starting in verse 26, bless you. Verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. I want you to kind of make a mental note there. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. This is a New Testament. You don't see a whole lot of that, especially in the book of Acts. You don't see much of it happening after this. But an angel appears to Philip and speaks to him. This is out of the ordinary God speaks to him specifically. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. There's your interruption. <laughs> hey, Philip, I want you to leave the city. I know God's doing great things here. There's a road I want you to go to and it's out in the desert. Are you kidding me? With all this activity here, what you're doing here, God, you want me to go there into a place where there's no one, it's isolated, it's desert? What? Why? It would have been an easy moment to get very upset and say, why, God, what is going on here? Why is this happening to me? It goes on. Verse 27. So he arose and went. Whew. Highlight, mark, star, underline, something. That's powerful. He did what the angel told him to do. He arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. There's a whole backstory there. There's a great story there. There's a man who has power, who has influence. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And verse 28, it says, he was returning He's going back home. He had been there. He had seen all that was happening there. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. This man, at this moment, happened to be reading Isaiah. At the time that God told Philip, go out to a place you don't understand, you don't know, go to the desert, to this road. Because interruptions are always an introduction into something great that God's going to do. Verse 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, mark it, first an angel of the Lord showed up. Something visible, powerful, demonstrative, clear. This is what you do, Philip. Now it changes. Now it says the Spirit spoke to Philip. Something a little more not so tangible, not so clear, not so visible, but something that happens inside. 
here. All right, we're gonna talk about that in just a moment. The Spirit says to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Now the thing is, Philip doesn't know verse 27 and 28. We do, he doesn't. All he knows is that he leaves Jerusalem, goes to this road, sees this entourage coming, and a guy. And then he senses God say to him, go and overtake that chariot. One guy alone, go approach a royal entourage and go and speak to them. And he has no clue what's happening there. Verse 30, so Philip ran to him. That's a good thing. When God gives you an impression, go. Don't wait, don't hesitate, don't contemplate, you go. Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. You see, when you obey what God says in clarity, then you'll gain some more clarity because he'll speak to in your spirit. First it was from the angel, then it was by the spirit, and then he got the confirmation, yep, I see why now. The spirit didn't say, hey, there's a guy who just left Jerusalem and he happens to be reading the prophet Isaiah right now, go there. He didn't know any of that. He went and then would find that out. That's the way God works. Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? The spirit told him what to say, what to do. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. He got an invitation. A guy on the road got an invitation to step up into the royal entourage and have a conversation. Hmm. Verse 31, how can I unless someone guides me? Philip sit with him. Verse 32, the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Verse 34, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you. Of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? You talk about an open door. This man is reading Isaiah. He's reading a passage that is all about Jesus. And the man reads it and he is at this ripe moment where he has question. He has a spiritual hunger, and God sent Philip from Jerusalem to the desert to meet this man at this moment so he'd have this question so Philip could give him this answer. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. He had the spiritual conversation. He was able to go into the depths of who Jesus was and explain to this man exactly what he was reading. Verse 36, now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, here he is. He's taking the next step in the spiritual conversation. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Mm -hmm. Wow. God prepared an interruption so that this man could come to an introduction of who Jesus was. And Philip was called to follow. Mm. When it comes to fishing, sensitivity is key. When it comes to impacting the lives of others, whether it's your children, spouse, family, coworker, friend, boss, neighbor, whoever, sensitivity is key. Knowing how to listen to the Spirit of God speaking and following his lead. So I want to talk to you today about five ways to increase your sensitivity to God and be a better fisherman. How about that? So if you're taking notes, here we go. Five big points today. Here's the first one. Great fishermen keep the slack out of their line. If you were to uh, go online and look at some fishing websites, if you're talking to some experts, they'd say one of the things that's critical is that you keep some slack out of your line. Now look, this is not mine. This is Nick's. All right? So if, if I'm, you see me up here doing some stuff, you think, he's not doing that right. I told you already, this is not my gig, right? I'm not a fisherman. So I'm going to get Nick to hold this. We've covered the hook so that his finger doesn't get ripped open. So, all right, Nick, can you pull a little bit there? All right, let's do something here. That's good, that's good. So when you're fishing, yeah, you can have a seat. That's great, making me nervous. So when you're fishing, first of all, this has got me bothered. The thing's on the left-hand side, not over here. I'm wanting to... So... When you're fishing, it's critical that you don't have a lot of slack in your line. So I don't know if you can see this fishing line right here. Do you see how it's kind of loose? It's just kind of hanging there in the air. When you're fishing, you're trying to connect with a realm that you can't see. You're trying to catch fish that you can't see. You're using a lure put into a place you know nothing or very little about. And so the only connection between that realm and you is this. And the way you know what's going on in that realm is by this line. This line gives you a connection between you and what's happening below the surface. Okay? And so a skilled fisherman knows he casts out and then he starts right away bringing the lure back in. Okay, so this is not bobber and worm fishing. This is usually lure fishing. And he starts bringing the lure back in because he wants to create the enticement to the fish that this is something alive, right? This is real life. So he's pulling this lure in, creating this fish movement in the water, and a good fisherman can feel as he's fishing, he can feel that lure moving through the water. And he can tell when it's bumping up on something. And the way you keep a good feel for what's happening is you keep the slack out of your line. If you cast your line out and then think, wow, look at that airplane. Wow, look at those birds. Man, that is some nice scenery. And your, your lure just goes, and you got slack in your line. You're not going to have a connection between you and the possible catch because you got slack 
in your line. You got too much distance. You have no connection. You feel the connection when your line is tight. Are you with me so far? Let me have it now, Nick. Thank you very much. I have no idea what to do with it. I'm just going to lay it down. When it comes to making a difference in the lives of others, it is critical that you keep the slack out of your line. When I say slack, I'm talking about two things. One, slack out of the connection between you and God. If you've got a lot of slack in your line between you and God, if you've got a lot of distance, if you've got a lot of play, if you've got a lot of room where you haven't been close, where you haven't been connected, where you're not tight, then you will not be able to sense when he is directing you. Philip was moving in the groove when he was in Jerusalem. He was operating in the spirit. He was close to God. He had been worshiping. He'd been reading. He'd been memorizing. He'd been meditating. And he was close. He was operating, what we might say, in the spirit. And so when God spoke to him and said, hey, I want you to go down to the desert place, he said, okay. He went because his line didn't have any slack in it. He didn't have to say, Did you say desert or dessert? I wasn't sure about that. He knew there was no slack in the line. You can't let a whole week of slack go by before you talk to God again, drawn close to him again. If you've got a week's worth of slack in your line, you're not going to be ready when he calls you and says, I need you to go here. The other area you don't need to have slack in your line is with people. People close to you, your family, your friends. Slack happens in relationships when there are offenses, when there's breaks, when there's no connection, when there's no closeness, when there hasn't been reconciliation, and there's all this stuff. It's slack. It gets in the way. It creates difficulties, and it'll keep you from knowing when God is calling you to speak. If if you've got some slack between you and a child of yours, whether they are 12, 20, or 42, if there's slack in the line, and there's been offenses and difficulties, and there's been no attempts at reconciliation, then when God calls you to go, to speak, to say something, your slack will keep you from going in the moment. So you can't have slack in your line. Philip could have let a lot of things get in the way, but Philip chose not to. He went when God called him to. Now what's fascinating to me is that first the angel speaks to him and he goes, And the Bible said, as I marked for you, then the Spirit spoke. You see, when you keep close, then you'll hear the Spirit of God speak inside. Then you'll sense God doing some things. Then you'll follow his lead. Here's the second big point today. Great fishermen are sensitive to the tug so when you've got your line out, you've cast it out, and you're reeling it in slow, and you're, you're doing the work of a, a frog, a, a minnow, whatever it is, you're, you're the lure that you're, you're bringing it in. You have to be sensitive the entire time. 
You can't get distracted. You can't look away. You have to be sensitive because that lure is coming in under the water and you can't see it. But it's got a path that's moving along and you can't even see what's on the surface of the pond or lake wherever you are. If you're in a shallow area, that lure is moving across the water space and it's going to have some growth underneath. There could be some tree stumps underneath. There could be some turtles hiding out under there. And you're going to feel those through your line if you're a good sensitive fisherman. You're going to feel, yep, there goes over some grass. Yeah, that was a log right there. That's a turtle. Get out, turtle, get out of here. You know, a good fisherman, they know the difference. They can tell as it's coming through the water. They feel it moving through the current. They know what it feels like. If you're going to be a fisher of men, if you're going to make a difference in your family, dads, if you want to be a spiritual leader at home, then you have to be the kind of guy who's sensitive to relationships, who's sensitive to God working, so that when he calls you to do something, you're aware of what's happening, and you're sensitive to the tug he makes on your heart, so that when he tugs on your heart and he says, husband, this is the moment I need you to walk over and give your wife a hug and tell her how much you love her. That's not the moment for you to say, I ain't doing that. That's your moment to say, yes, Lord. And you get up and you do it. You move when you feel the tug and you're aware of what he's doing and saying and you act on that. Great fishermen know how to sense his lead. So for Philip, the angel spoke, but then the spirit spoke. Have you ever wondered sometimes, is this the spirit of God speaking to me, or is this just me thinking this? Have you ever had that conversation before, you know, where you feel like uh, all of a sudden you have this moment where you think, I want to give something to those people. Maybe it's a family, maybe it's a couple, maybe it's an individual, maybe it's somebody that, that you know, and all of a sudden you have this thought, I should give them $20. And you're like, where did that come from? Is that me? Is that God? Is that just something weird going on? Was that because of that podcast I listened to last week or whatever? You know, get confused about all of those kind of things. And so because you don't know, you just say, eh, never mind. And you just play it off. Let me help you with some ways that you can identify the tug of God. All right? So if you're making some notes, this is not going to be on screen, but if you're making some notes, Jot this down. The Spirit, when he speaks, will always lead you in ways that are consistent with God's word. You can always know that. The Spirit of God is never going to prompt you with something that goes against God's word. He can't lead you into something that's against him. He's not going to lead you into some great sin. That's not God. If you have an urge and you're wondering, is this from God or not? If you know it's lust, greed, hatred, anger, resentment, that's not from God. So you could just check that off right away. This is how you know whether you are being sensitive to God or not. One, he's going to always lead you in a way that's consistent with his word. Second, the spirit will always speak specifically. Stay with me. When the Spirit of God is speaking to you, leading you, 
He will speak specifically. When in this story, the spirit told Philip to go and overtake the chariot. He was very specific about what he was to do. He didn't just cause Philip to feel generally bad about himself, right? That's not what happened. In the story, the spirit told Philip to go and overtake the chariot. That's very specific. When God is calling you to do something, he will give you an impression. It'll be consistent with his word, but it will be very specific. It won't be just, I want you to give. It will be, I want you to give $25 to that person. If you sense that happening, that's most likely going to be God because he will speak in ways that are consistent with his word and it's consistent that he would give and he will speak consistently and specifically when he does. I want you to go and ask that person for forgiveness for what you said to them. That's specific. I want you to surrender this part of your life to me because you've been living on your own apart from me. That's specific. I want you to trust me in this area of your life regarding your job. That's specific. God speaks specifically. That's how you can know his tug. The third is he will tug at your heart. Not just a thought, but it will have, it will be a thought, but it'll have this sense of urgency or passion to it. Like, I've got to do this. Almost like, have you ever been in a moment like this where you're just, you're just doing your thing, whether it's in church or maybe you're just alone, maybe you're with a group of people and God begins to put something on your heart and you, for a moment you play it off and all of a sudden it feels like this where it just feels like, if I don't get up and do this, my heart's gonna bounce out of my chest. I gotta get up. Something's something's gotta happen here. That's one of the ways you can recognize God. He'll speak consistently with his word. He'll speak specifically about what he wants you to do, and he'll put a passion within you, like, this is your moment. Go right now. Can you imagine if Philip would have even spent a half a day or even a half hour missing the moment and saying, God, I don't know if I want to do that. I mean, there's a lot happening here in Jerusalem. I'm just not sure I want to go down there. He would have gotten down to that road and there would have been no one passing by. But because he acted on it the moment that he did, he put him in intersection with a man who was in need. Consistently with his word, specifically, passionately. And the fourth one is this. Although it may be uncomfortable, you will always know that it's right. You will have this sense in which this is going to be awkward, but I have this overwhelming peace that this is the right thing to do. God always speaks and gives peace when he gives direction so that you know this is right to do. It may be a sacrifice. It may cost me. This may be awkward, but I'm going to do it because this is what is right. That is how you know the tug of God's spirit upon your heart. Again, 
These are advanced fishing skills right here, folks. All right? Sensitivity is key in being a fisher of men. Our next one is this, is that great fishermen refuse to lose to distraction. Man, uh, if you're not a fisherman, you'll be out somewhere. You'll maybe be out on a boat. You'll maybe be out on the side of a lake. You'll be out in a pond. And if you're not a trained fisherman, you'll get caught up in talking. You're like, hey, did you see this past week? And then did you see what happened at the Ranger game? That was crazy. And it's like, if you get distracted and you start talking and you start looking and you start paying attention to everything else but fishing, you could possibly miss the exact moment that God was going to give you a big catch. You're going to miss the moment. When God speaks, again, he does so consistently and specifically with a purpose. And if you get distracted in the moment, then you miss the moment. If Philip had gotten distracted along the way and said, desert, this is crazy. Why a desert? I'm going to stop and think about this for a while. Desert, why a desert? He would have gotten distracted and missed the exact moment that he was supposed to intersect with the Ethiopian eunuch and be right there in that moment. It's so easy to get distracted, though. It's so easy to sometimes maybe even get this impression from God, like you need to go see somebody, talk to somebody, and, and you say, okay, God, I'll go. I'll do it. I know, I know you want me to go, and I know you want me to ask them how they're doing in their soul. You've told me very specifically, how are they doing in their soul? Okay, God, I'll do it. I'll do it. And so you go, and what happens is you go, and you sit down. Hey, Ashley. And you sit down, and you're like, hey, how's it going? And then you, you talk for just a little bit, and all of a sudden you get a little nervous, and you think, ah, I'm just going to talk about something else. How about the Rangers? Man, that's really something. You know, Rangers, hey, you know, and you start talking about other things. You get distracted, and they tell you something. And pretty soon, you start thinking about everything else going on. Man, I really need to get back home. This is taking too long. This is not going like I thought it was going to go. And you get distracted. You put it off. And all of a sudden, you find yourself just like, ah, that's okay. Someone else will go. Maybe that guy at the church will go. God calls us, each one of us, to be fishermen who are not distracted, who are focused. And when God calls us to go and have the spiritual conversation, to be ready and willing and do it, even if it's awkward, even if it's something we haven't done before, and to not get distracted. If you get distracted, you can lose out on the catch. Our last one, or our fourth one, I'm sorry, is that great fishermen wait to feel the weight. Hmm. So when you're fishing like this, and that lure is coming in, and you start feeling stuff as it's coming through the water, there's really no way to explain to you what this is like until you've done it, but you feel what feels like hits or tugs on the line. And that's exactly what's happening. It could be debris in the water, could be vegetation in the water, could be little fish in the water, could be turtles. A good fisherman knows and he'll feel all of those. May not be certain. He may even feel what are bites on the hook where he's, he feels a little bit of resistance. 
He feels a pull. He feels the tug. And in that moment, it's tempting if you're not skilled as a fisherman to go, pull to me like that. Oh, I got him, I got him. I got nothing. And you go again. And the first time you feel something, I got him, I got him, I got him. I got nothing. Because a skilled fisherman who's trained knows to wait to feel the weight of the fish on the line. When you know it's there, then all of a sudden you're like, ah, now I got him. And then you draw it in. If you go too early, you'll miss the catch and you could scare the fish off. If you wait too late, you won't get a bite at all. Great fishermen know to feel the weight and wait for the weight. When it comes to spiritual conversations with family, friends, maybe you have never had those before, it's important that you learn how to feel and sense the Spirit of God working. I've seen people go into conversations overdoing it. Have you ever had someone come to you and they overdo spiritual talk? They lead right away with a bunch of Bible verses and, and conversations like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> I don't even know you that well. What are we doing here? You know, And it gets awkward, it gets weird, and it's like, this wasn't the time, wasn't the place. Skilled fishermen know to sense the moment. When is this going to be the right time to have this conversation? You don't put it off forever, but you are sensitive and you are aware when their heart is ready. And when they are, then you act. But it requires great sensitivity on our part if we're going to do that. So this means you don't go in brash. You wait for God's timing. You wait for his go, not your own go. You develop the relationship you build some trust. You're all the time evaluating them, their heart, where they are, if they're ready to listen, if they're not ready to listen. You're sensing God's hand in the moment. This is a skill that you and I must develop. If you want to be an effective parent, if you want to be an effective spouse, you want to be an effective friend or fisherman for Christ, You've got to know where their heart is. Not just what you want to say, but where their heart is and how and when to bring up the conversation about whatever the topic may be. This is advanced fishing skill. This is advanced relationship skill that a generation today is losing grasp of. We must sense the Spirit of God, and his go in the moment. Our last one is that great fishermen go all in for the catch. When it's time, when the moment happens, when the moment's right, God has spoken, you sense it in that moment, then you've got to go ahead and have the conversation. You've got to ask forgiveness. You've got to explain your situation. You've got to tell them what God has told you. You've got to have the conversation. In that moment, you've got to be ready. They say when you're fishing, if your line is out and you feel, let me put it over here, and you feel it right, then that's not the moment to just wildly throw the rod back and try to 
catch your fish. That's the moment where you bring your elbows in, you get up close, you get a good stance, and you pop that reel back. And in that moment, you'll make your catch if it's the right time. And you have to act on that. You can't put it off. You can't let it go. And Philip was that man. Philip was the guy who felt the tug of God. He went. God confirmed it. He went in where God called him to go. God showed confirmation again. This man's reading Isaiah. The man asked, what do I do? And he acted on it. And as a result, there was incredible blessing. Now, let me talk to you about my sister. Let me give you a little bit of backstory here. So, um, I am uh, the son of Ben and Lucille Treadaway. They've since gone to be with the Lord. They had both been married previously, and on my mom's side, I knew her children. So they're like 15 and 17 years older than me. Uh, I knew my sister as sister, but probably more like an aunt, you know, because she's older, much older than me. And didn't spend a whole lot of time with her. She usually lived out of state. And so there would be times I'd go and spend a couple of days or maybe a week with them, but we've always been close. But the thing is, I've never had a spiritual conversation with my sister. Never. I put it off. I laid it aside, thought it was too awkward, and never, ever did. I'm pretty sure she went to... Um, um, church when she was young. I've heard stories and that, uh, you know, was even baptized at a young age. But I've not ever known her being involved in church. We never had any church conversation. Maybe a few about, you know, kind of what was going on with me. And so we would talk, you know, maybe once or twice a year. So when I got a call, what would now be about a week and a half ago, that she had been diagnosed with two tumors one on her lung and one in her brain. It was an interruption for me. I was shocked. Our whole family was. Didn't know what was going to happen. As that week began to play out, she went to a hospital that was local, and they began to run tests. And their word to her was, I'm really sorry. You've got about three to six months. There's nothing that we can do. Nothing. So they sent word to another hospital in a little bit larger town and sent tests there, and they said, there's nothing we can do either. We don't have any good news for you. So that was about the time last weekend occurred where we were all here, and, uh, and Matt came up and asked if we would all pray, and you did. We all gathered and prayed and I'm confident that God heard the prayers of his people here last Sunday morning. And so what happened after that? Went home, I had more conversations with her, uh, her family during the day, and they said, we have, um, we have scheduled a trip to Kansas City. There's a hospital there that uh, thinks they can offer some hope and help. Great, so we'll, we'll go to Kansas City. So. Monday morning, we leave, eight to 10 hour drive, Kansas City. We get there, and you know, all week long, I've kind of had this picture in my mind of uh, her not doing very well. 
and thinking really kind of in my mind, all right, um, I'm, I'm kind of halfway thinking about a funeral because it was, that was the prognosis. So we get there, we get to the hospital, go in the room. She's not in the room. They say, oh, she went out for tests. She'll be back in just a little bit. Okay. Door opens, and there she is. She's sitting up in the chair, smile on her face, conversation, looking great, no IVs attached, anything. I'm like, what is going on here? This is not what I had anticipated. She comes in. Uh, doctor comes in, nurse comes in, they start telling the story, and they said, um, yeah, so we're going to do the surgery in the morning, it'll be about five hours, after that you'll come back in here, we'll be here for a couple of days, get you into rehab, you'll be able to go back home pretty soon. I'm like, what? These guys, they're treating this like, yeah, you know, just like you going in for some simple procedure, and they're going to operate on her brain. They're going to open her skull and remove the tumor, and we'll be able to see her that afternoon, they have good news, and it changes everything all of a sudden. So we got there about 6, 6.30. For the next two and a half hours, you would have thought we were at a, a, a comics club. My sister is doing this stand-up comic routine from her chair, and she's laughing and cutting jokes. And I'm just, what is going on here? Me of little faith, right? We all prayed. And believe God heard us. He was, he was answering already. Uh, some of you even came to me and said, hey, I've got a relative. Or I had me. You know, they, uh, who was it? Who told me that? It was Gabriel. Yeah. Gabriel and Vani. Tumor in his head. Surgery. Removed. Fine. He was on the parking lot this morning. Greeting you when he came in. And so I'm hearing these stories. But all of a sudden, I'm seeing it at my sister. In my sister. The family's all gathered, and I'm thinking, this is just incredible. And at the same time, I'm praying because I know there's another conversation that needs to happen. And I'm looking for the opportunity. I'm looking for the window, and I don't, I don't know what it is. It's awkward. We've never had this conversation before. And we start talking about the difference between hospital one and hospital two and the good news versus the bad news and hope versus no hope. And she tells me this. And you'd have to know how uncharacteristic this was. She said, you know, when I was leaving the hospital in Joplin, one of the men, a nurse, came to me. I'm pretty sure it was a nurse. Came to, him, came to her. And he leaned over and she said, he said this to me. You don't need to be afraid and you don't need to worry. God has you. He's holding on to you. And he's not going to let you go. He's got you. She's telling me this story. I'm like, what? It's incredible. So we talk a little bit more. It's almost time to kind of wrap things up for the night. Surgery, you know, 5.30 the next morning. I said, okay, um, this is where I do something that's very pastoral for me, but not something I've ever done in this situation with family before. I said, um, Sherry, which her name is Sherry Greenlee. I've always known her as Sherry K, because that's how we grew up. I have a sister, Sherry K, and a brother, Michael Ray. So, uh, Sherry K, I said, um, would it be okay if we prayed for you? And she said, yes. So we gathered up family 
It's me and Heather and Taylor and Truett and then her children. And we gather up and pray with confidence at what God has done, reassuring, Lord, you said to her, you've got her. We believe that. We trust in that. And finished our time. Hugs, kisses, you know, all around. We leave, come back the next morning. Surgery, we're waiting in the waiting room. Someone's coming in. This is pretty cool. They come in, they're giving us play by play. Like every 30 minutes, they're coming in and telling us what's going on. And then the doctor comes in at the end. And we're just like, he says, Well, uh, we got all the tumor, it's all removed, and um, put her all back together and sewed her up. You should be able to go in and see her in about another hour, and it'll be fine. And you can go back to Joplin a couple of days for rehab. Like it was just matter of fact, like we just come in, you know, and had some very, very simple procedure done. And there was just this sense of awe at what had happened and gratefulness and the awareness that God had heard our prayers for the family, but of ours as well. Amen. So what I'd like to do is I'm going to call my sister right now. I, uh, I've been texting with her, and I want you to hear her voice. I want you to, I want, whew, I want you to hear what God has done. All right, here we go. Can you hear? Hello? Sherry Kay? Yeah? How are you doing? I'm here. All right. Well, I've got our whole church family here. I'm going to let them all just say a big hello to you. Y'all say hello. Hello back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I, I called her yesterday and was talking to her, and I told her this story about how we had a snake in our yard yesterday, and I said... So that was the exciting thing that we did today. And she said back to me, well, waking up was the exciting thing I did today. I said, well, that's a very exciting thing. So, uh, Kay, you're coming home, or you're going home to Joplin tomorrow? Uh, Jeffrey and Julie are on their way up. And uh, tomorrow I'm going home. Yeah. Yes, tomorrow I'm going home. Man, that's awesome. Right, but every time I see a day, they say, no, today's Sunday. <laughs> yeah, one more day. Right? So I guess you slept good last night? Yes. Good. I, I slept just fine, and my hopeful lunch will be here in about 12 minutes. All right. Well, good. Jeffrey and Julie will be here maybe in 10 minutes. Awesome. And I know George has been there uh, by your side from the beginning, and that's been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was there the other day, you told about a man who came up to you when you were in Joplin and said, you don't have to fear. God's got you. Uh, I'm just curious. Dr. La Jolla. 
I was curious what that, what that meant to you in this whole process. Well, considering that none of the other doctors had been very optimistic, this doctor had a, a nice smile on his face and was very supportive. And, you know, just the fact that he did that, that one day alone seemed to change so much for me. And so most of the doctors seemed distant and they didn't have a lot of information to give me. Yeah. So when this doctor came in, he was a good smile on his face. And of course, I told you how he grabbed both hands up in the air like he had grabbed a towel. And he said, you know, God's got this. He's had you from the beginning. He's got you at the end. And he knows what you most need. Yeah, amen. Um, out. And he came up to me again and held up his fist and said, you know, we've got this. I think you're very strong. I think you're going to make it. And then he gave me a, a little peck on the cheek and left. That's good. And like I said, after, you know, going through all of this and not having much hope or information it was really something to have a doctor who actually was putting faith in me and God and saying things that I needed to hear to make me feel good that's good so it meant probably more than any other day that's good well, we believe that, uh, that God sent him to you and uh, that God heard uh, the prayers of everyone who prayed for you, and we're grateful today. So uh, I'm going to let you go so you can get your lunch. So. Well, I love you, my lovely brother, and I appreciate all of you and your church and for me. All right. I love you, Sherry Kay. Bye-bye. Bye. Amen. Amen. So I don't know who God's going to bring into your path, what interruption is going to come your way, but when he speaks, go. When you feel the tug, lean into it. Listen. Be sensitive. You never know what God is going to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so overwhelmed and grateful at your goodness. And though I shouldn't be amazed at the way you arrange things, I am. How you arrange timing and circumstances for your glory and for 
the good of those you're reaching. So I thank you for my sister. I thank you for that man who spoke good news to her. I thank you for this church and the faith and the prayer that was lifted up in confidence that you would work. I thank you for what's growing in her and ask you to continue that work and I know you are. And ask that all of us would be sensitive to whatever you're leading us into. Whatever conversation we need to have. That we would be open and ready to do what you lead us to do. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. What an amazing time of worship and message today. We hope you have an incredible Father's Day. And we'll see you next week live at 1030.